Welcome to the Indianola First Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our prayer is that this message will inspire you, encourage you, and launch you into life-changing action. Well, church, how are we doing today? You know, you guys need to learn how to respond better the first time, because you know we're going to always make you to do it again, right? So you might as well just get used to it. How are you doing today, church? Oh, there it is. See, you wonder why we do that, but it always takes two times to get you guys going. So if you just get going the first time, then, then we'd be good and we wouldn't have to do that anymore. Well, welcome this morning. My name is Pastor Jared. I'm the executive pastor here on staff. And um, Pastor Barry was kind enough to ask me to, to speak today. And uh, I want to start off this morning by asking you a question. And the question is, have you ever been surfing the internet, maybe you've been on social media, and you come across a headline with a title that is so tantalizing, so interesting that you just can't help but click on it, and then you click on it, only to find that the article that you go to read has little to nothing to do with the actual headline that you wanted to know about. Has anybody experienced that? Okay, you are victims of clickbait, okay? Sound like a support group this morning. Hi, my name is Pastor Jared, and I'm a victim of clickbait, right? You're a victim of clickbait, okay? Um, the official Wikipedia definition of clickbait, if you're having a hard time understanding what it is or you've never experienced it before, the official definition is that it is a text or thumbnail link that's designed to attract attention and entice users to, fo- to follow that link to read, view, or listen to the linked piece of online content with a defining characteristic of being deceptive, typically sensationalized or misleading, okay? This is an internet thing, right? When you're surfing the web and you find a headline that's really, really good and you click on it and then you're sorely disappointed by what you read because it has nothing to do, like I said, with a headline that you were just dying to know about and it just leaves you in that place of still dying to know about it and does nothing to fulfill what you actually want, right, in your life, that is clickbait. But just in case you still need some help understanding what it is, I got some examples this morning that I want to share with you that I mined the internet for and I want to share with you so you really can get a a grasp on what this is. So I'm going to give you four examples of clickbait. Okay, here's the first one. It says this, and they'll be up on the screen. All she did was drag her plate across the pool, and what happened next blew my mind. What happens next is she created two mini whirlpools. That's, That's what blew this person's mind, evidently. All right, number two. When you read these 19 shocking food facts, you'll never want to eat again. Whoa, whoa. What is so shocking that makes me never want to eat again? That's crazy. Well, when you go on to the article, they list out meals and their calorie counts. So not quite enough to keep me from food for the rest of my life, but, but it's good. Number three, probably my favorite one. He thought it was Bigfoot skull, but then experts told him this. Spoiler alert, it's a rock, okay? <laughs> it's a rock. Does not look like Bigfoot's skull to me. I don't know where he got that from. Number four, 87-year-old trainer shares secret to losing weight. Okay, if, you, if you've got an 87-year-old trainer, they must be worth listening to, right? And they must know the secret to weight loss. I don't know why an 87-year-old trainer is any better than any other trainer, but evidently they know the secret. But you go on to find in the article, it's really no big secret. It's just an article about exercising and eating right, which we've known about for 100 years, right? So these are examples of clickbait, sensational headlines, that just kind of leave you really, really empty inside. And it works because it's so tantalizing. It works on this thing called our curiosity gap. That's what the psychologists call it. Like, we have this curiosity gap. Like, we have to know, right? We have to know. And and the people that write these things, they understand our psychology. They know this. And so they craft these 
uh, headlines that make it so interesting that we just can't help but click on it because the information looks so good and so fulfilling that we're just compelled to know. But once we click the link, like I said, we experience the letdown because the content can't deliver what the headline promised. And isn't that a metaphor for life? Aren't there so many areas in our lives where there's these great headlines that we run after, but yet when we click on them, when we take them, when we run after them, the content can't deliver what the headline is. And the reason that we do that is because we're looking for a place that's fulfilling. We're looking for a place to put our hope. Oh, hey, good afternoon, sir. How oh, you doing? I'm doing good. How are you, sir? Real good, real good. Well, I sure hope you could help me today. You know, I'm here, and I'm looking like I have all this hope. Yeah, and I'm looking, and I really need something to put it in. Do you, do you have anything? Have you come to the right place? Welcome to Hope Dealers, Inc. Huh. If you're at the end of your rope, we'll help you find the hope. <laughs> but really... If you're looking for something to put your hope in, come check out some of these models over here. Oh, oh look at the, hey, this looks cool. I mean, whoa, it even, yeah, it even has a Bronco sticker on it. Yeah, I think this one is for me. Oh, Woo. yeah, 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 you'll love this one. I call this the buddy model. It's a fun ride. It'll take you anywhere you wanna go. Oh, your yeah. friends are gonna love it, but for some reason, the wives don't seem to like it. <laughs> I don't know, but whoa. Hey, hey, look at those, look at those tires on this thing. Woo! And this, oh man, it looks like it looks like something that'll take me hunting for sure. Oh, it was made for hunting and fishing too. And look at all the extra room for that fishing gear in the back. <laughs> That's it, man. I do not need to look any further. I will take it. Thank you. You're welcome. Come on, buddy. Let's go. This is going to be a good time, bud. One week later. Hey, good afternoon. Hey, Skippy, how you doing? Welcome back. Hey, how's everything going with the buddy model? Well, let me tell you. The fir for the first while, first beginning, it was great. I mean, I took it out when the weather was nice. We went fishing and hunting, and it was great. But then I drove it out in one storm, and it left me on the side of the road. It was like it wasn't built to go through storms. I mean, we're going to have storms, plus it had some unnatural smells that came from its tailpipe. Oh, no thanks. That one, it's not for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're known to run good when conditions are ideal. But hey, don't worry. I got plenty of other models All to right. choose from. Yeah. Woo-wee! What is this? You like this one, don't you? Oh, yeah. Woo! I call this the relationship model. Well, let me, yeah, somebody's done some good detailing on this one. This one here, this, th 
this is a 79 model. Now, you you look like you're partial to the 79s. You know, you know you're a good salesman because I am very partial yeah. to the 79 model. You know what? I heard that the newer models, they're kind of high maintenance anyway. Oh. Yeah, way high maintenance. I wouldn't even waste my time. You know what else I heard is that the older models, they make a lot of noise. Is that true? Ah, funny thing is, they've been trying to find a way to quiet them down for years. <laughs> no one's really been able to figure out a way to do it. Well, don't you worry. I have found what I'm going to put my hope in, and it's this hot tamale right here. <laughs> Woo-wee! Thank you. Let's go. One week later. Oh, jeez. What happened this time? Well, let me tell you. Again, at the beginning, everything for the first couple days, great. It was great. Then, out of nowhere, this guy came along and stole the relationship model right out from under me. I really thought that that was the one. Nope. Gone. Well, I've seen it a million times. Cheer up, Skippy. I got some other models over here for you. All right. Whoa! What can you tell me about this one? <laughs> You've got a good eye. Oh. This is the body model. And as you can tell, this body has been well taken care of. Oh, yeah. Look at this. Look at this. Look. It's even got some custom decals on it. <laughs> Woo! Looks good. Now, this model here will take a little extra work, but you'll definitely turn some heads showing up with this body. I know. Could you imagine all the people that would look at me if I strolled up in this? Woo. Oh, yeah. Hey, hey, wait a second. Yeah. Hey, what, what is that? What's oh, no, this right there? What I was saying is this body model here, no, what you're going to want to do is... wait a minute. What is uh, this? What is this? It's an older body model. What in the world happened? <sighs> Nothing lasts forever, son. And even the body model, even the body model will eventually show its age. Oh my God, oh. the custom decals couldn't even stand the test of time. Ugh. No way, I have to have something that could stand the test of time. No, 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 this is not gonna work. Sorry, but hey, wait a minute. What about this one right here? This one looks real slick. Yeah, it looks like it can bring a lot of hope and maybe even some change. Oh, no, no, no. You do not want one of these. Why? Why not? This is the politician model. <laughs> and I probably shouldn't even tell you this, but they're completely unreliable. What? Have they always been unreliable? Well, they've been unreliable for years, but fortunately, people are finally starting to figure it out. Well, you know what? Really looks like you don't have anything here for me to put my hope into, so... I don't know. I guess I'm going to have to go keep looking. Thanks, sir. Thanks for nothing. 
Can't even stand the test of time. A lot of places we like to put our hope, isn't there? A lot of good headlines out there, a lot of good things like in this skit, like a relationship with a friend or a relationship with another person or, you know, physical fitness or politicians. And there's just tons of clickbait out there that, are, that, that tell us that, hey, you should put your hope here. And when we do, sometimes we get disappointed. And, you know, we believe these headlines that the world throws at us or maybe that even come up within our own minds and th- those, those headlines like, Man, a relationship would just make things better. Like if I could just get married or if I could just find the right guy or the right girl, then that would just, it would make life better and I'd feel so complete if I had somebody else only to find out that when you take the clickbait, the other person that you are putting your hope in isn't everything you thought they were and they disappoint you. Or we might believe the headline that says, making money is gonna solve all of my problems. If I could just make enough money, then I wouldn't have to worry, I wouldn't have to stress and life would be great. And then we run after that, that, that achieving that, that success, and we achieve those, you know, that financial goals that we've been working for, only to find that when we've achieved those things, we're, our problems are still there. They're still right there with us. Or we believe the lie that says, man, being noticed by people, that'll make me feel better about myself, because I don't feel good about myself, so if I just get noticed, if, if I can just get people to, to understand who I am and to, to notice me, then, then, it'll be, then, then life will be great and I'll be fulfilled, only to find that after you chase after that, you might have a million acquaintances, but you feel just as lonely as you ever did. And, and you know, there's tons of headlines out there, and I could go on and on and on with this list, but, but the idea that I'm trying to get across is that the headline sometimes that we get thrown or maybe the headline that we put in our own minds doesn't always live up to the content that's underneath. And this isn't a problem that's new. It's a problem that dates back to the very beginning of time when Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden. There was a clickbait headline that was brought to them courtesy of a serpent, which we know is the devil. And that clickbait line was, hey, guess what? You can be like God. You won't die. And as soon as they took the clickbait, the content that was delivered, we are still feeling the repercussions from it today, aren't we, of their content. So as you can see, when when we look at this idea of clickbait, it sounds a lot like temptation, doesn't it? Sounds a lot like running after things that look good, but in the end just don't produce like we wish that they would. And like Adam and Eve, if we take that bait of temptation, then it leads us to places that we probably don't want to go. In fact, I'll tell you where it leads us. In James 1, 13 through 16, it talks about it. It says this. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For temptation doesn't originate from God, but from our own flaws. For God can't be tempted by what is evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each one is tempted when he is dragged away, enticed and baited to commit sin by his own worldly desire, lust, and passion. Then when illicit desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin has run its course, it gives birth to death. Do not be misled, my beloved brothers and sisters. So here's James talking about it right here. He talks about temptation, that, that we're enticed by our own evil desires and we're dragged away. That's how enticing temptation is it drags us away but then when we get dragged away we end up sinning and when sin gives when sin is fully ground it gives birth to death and so where does that road lead us it leads to disappointment frustration unfulfillment and ultimately leads to death you see jesus 
told us that if we try to find fulfillment outside of him, it's not going to work. In fact, he talks about in the Gospels, he, he uses an illustration. And he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Anyone who remains in me and I in him will bear much fruit. So what's Jesus saying? He's saying, I am the source of life. I am the source of fulfillment. See, deep down, we have this need to be fulfilled. We have this need to find something. It's like, it's like we're born with the God-shaped hole in our heart. We're born with something, and we're, we feel like we're not quite right unless we have that, that peace to put inside. And so if we look for that peace outside of Jesus Christ, it leads to a lot of different things. It's like, it's like the illustration that he uses. If we take a branch and we, and we pluck it off of the vine, or if you take a branch and you take it off of a tree, eventually that branch is going to wither up and die. If you try to take that branch and, and find nourishment in other sources, it doesn't work. And that's how we were made to function. We were made to function with fulfillment in Jesus and him alone, in God alone. But so many times we try to find nourishment in other things like popularity. We try to find nourishment in other things like a relationship, or we try to find nourishment in other things like money, and we try to chase after these clickbait things but in the end, they leave us frustrated, they leave us hopeless, and we're, eventually we die inside. Not a physical death, maybe, but a spiritual and a soul death. And Jesus knew about that. That's why he said, you need to remain in me. That's where the nourishment is found. Sin is attractive, and it's fun, and it's enticing, right? If it wasn't, we wouldn't have an issue with it. It wouldn't even be a, a conversation, but sin does look good for a time, and it is fun for a time, and the Bible even says it is, and we know it is. But the content of sin will never deliver on the promise of the headlines in sin. In fact, we know that the content of sin is death. So then the question becomes for us, church, is how do we defeat temptation? How do we defeat the clickbait? How do we keep from clicking on it so that we don't end up down a road that eventually will lead us to death? Because that's a hard place to be. And I'm sure I could look around this room and many of us have seen people or know people in our lives that at one time or another they were following Jesus wholeheartedly and then they decided to take a detour and they decided to click the bait and it's led them down a road where uh, eventually it's going to lead them to destruction if they don't come back. So how do we defeat temptation? That, that becomes the question that we want to answer this morning. And there's actually, I think that actually the best way to do that is to actually explore the sources of temptation because there's three sources of temptation. There's three places where temptation comes from. And if we can understand that, and if we can mine the Bible a little bit this morning to understand how to defeat those, because how many know that God gave us a strategy to defeat temptation? Jesus didn't kick us out in the world full of temptations and say, good luck, hope you make it through to the other side and I'll see you there. No, he gave us his word. And in his word, he gave us the strategies to defeat these temptations. And so that's what I really want to focus in and hone in on this morning is taking a look at the sources of temptation and how do we defeat them. So let's dive into that this morning. And I want to do it by asking you a question. How many of you notice that it is easier to do the things that are wrong, but it's hard to do the things that are right? Anybody ever notice that? Okay. All right. Easier to eat junk food than healthy food. Easier to talk about what someone did to you and rehearse that hurt with someone else and gossip about it than it is to confront them. It's easier to veg in front of the TV than it is to read a book. You ever ask yourself, why is that? Why do I always do these things? Why is it hard to do the things that are right and, and easy to do the things that are wrong? Well, Paul the Apostle has the same struggle, so you're in good company this morning, and he talks about it in Romans 7, 21 through 23. Here's what he says. He says, I've discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another power within me that's at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that's still within me. 
Can anybody relate to this verse? I can relate to this verse. I want to do what's right, but I do what's wrong. Okay, I, I know that I want to do what's right, but there's a, power, there's a power in me. Something in me is at war with myself and telling me not to do these things. So we have this war going on that Paul tells us. And despite our best intentions, we often end up doing what we don't want to do. But here's the cool part. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul gives us the answer as to why we act this way. So like he's asking the question or telling us his experience in Romans chapter 7. And then in Galatians 5, he tells us, here's, here's, what I, here's the conclusion to that, to, to why I feel like that. Galatians 5, 16 and 17. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what's contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what's contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other so that you don't do whatever you want to do. Okay, so Paul says basically this. This is why you do the things that you don't want to do. Because you have two forces that are at work within you. One is the Spirit, if you're a Christian, and one is the flesh. Remember those little cartoons where you had the devil on one shoulder and the angel on the other shoulder? Anyone remember those? Are they old enough to remember that? Okay, it's kind of that concept. <clears throat> you have the flesh, the little devil on one side saying, ah, be evil, be evil. And you have the angel on one side saying, don't do it, don't do it. You like my little impressions? It's pretty good. I worked on it a long time, so appreciate your appreciation of it. <laughs> You got the flesh and you got the spirit. They're polar opposites, like the angel and the devil on your shoulder. On one side sits the flesh, and the flesh, man, it, it wants what it wants. The flesh wants comfort. It wants pleasure. It seeks to feed itself with a never-ending appetite. That is the flesh, okay? It wants to be recognized. It wants to be proud. It wants to look good. It doesn't want humility. It, it, it wants pleasure. It, it, wants, it just has an appetite. That's the flesh. And, and by the way, the flesh is our natural mode of operation. That's why the flesh is so easy. That's why we do the things we don't want to do. Because we were born like this. We were born with a sinful nature. We were born uh, with an appetite for the things of this world that are <clears throat> contrary to the Lord. But then there's the spirit. And the spirit is not our natural mode of operation. Because the Spirit doesn't come from earth. The Spirit comes from heaven. The Spirit is what's downloaded into us when we say yes to Jesus. The Bible says the Holy Spirit is deposited within us at the time of salvation as a guarantee for our upcoming inheritance in heaven. But we have a measure of the Holy Spirit in us, don't we, when we're Christians? And that Spirit is harder to follow. Do you know why? Because it's foreign to us. Because it comes from another world order. It comes from another kingdom. It's the kingdom of God. That's why we're doing this class in a little bit called the kingdom. The kingdom is what Jesus talked about more than anything else. He wanted us to know how the kingdom of God operates because it's so polar different from this world. So that's why it's harder to follow the spirit. But you've got both in you and they're at war. You've got your flesh that's at war with your spirit and your spirit that's at war with your flesh and they can't live in the same space. They're polar opposites. They're like two sides of a magnet that repulse each other. They can't live in the same space. So you have to decide and you have to figure out, how am I going to, how am I going to defeat the flesh? Because if I, if I don't defeat the flesh, I'm going to go down to that area of clickbait that I don't want to go down and that ends in death. So here, here's the key. And I've used this illustration before, but I think it's good enough that it bears repeating. Imagine for a second the two of these, the flesh and the spirit. Imagine them like two hungry lions. And imagine a boxing ring. And you've got these two hungry lions caged up on either corner of a boxing ring. And they only have enough chain to go out to where they can't mess with each other. They can't mess with the middle of the ring. And you are given a day's supply of food every single day, but you can only feed one lion. 
what do you think would happen to the lion that you choose to feed? What would happen to that lion? That lion would get strong, right? It would thrive. It would be ready to go. It would, be, it would be ready to do what it was created to do, to hunt and to do the things God created it to do. What would happen to the lion on the other side that you chose not to feed? It would eventually become weak. It would become emaciated, right? Eventually, that lion would die, right? That's the key. When it comes to the flesh and the spirit, you have to feed one and starve the other. And the cool thing is, when you feed one, you pretty much automatically starve the other because they're so polar opposite. So you have to choose to feed the spirit. In our case, feed the spirit. And when you feed the spirit, you're going to starve the flesh. But what does that look like? How do you feed the spirit? What does that mean? Well, it means spending time with the Lord in prayer and spending time in the word. Pretty basic stuff. This verse tells us, Paul tells us, to walk by the Spirit. And if we walk by the Spirit, we won't gratify the desires of the sinful nature. We won't desire, gratify the desires of the flesh. So what does it mean to walk by the Spirit? Well, I looked the word up, walk, and it literally means to walk side by side is what it means. So how, how do we put that in the context of the verse? The Spirit right here, right next to us, we're walking with the Spirit. And if the Spirit starts to go right, then we go right. If the Spirit goes left, then we go left. We don't just walk the way we want to walk because if the Spirit's going in a different direction and we're walking where we want to walk, guess what? We're losing sight of where the Spirit is going. So it's this conscious awareness that the Holy Spirit is with us every single moment of every day. When you're driving to work, the Holy Spirit is there. When you're on the job site and you're working, the Holy Spirit is right next to you, working with you. And it's this conscious awareness of spirit what is God saying? What does the Holy Spirit want me to do? Who does he want me to talk to? Where does he want me to go? What does he want me to think about? It's this conscious awareness that the Holy Spirit presence is with us at all times. That's feeding the Spirit, walking with the Spirit. And if we do that, we're not going to gratify the flesh. So guess what? The flesh gets easier and easier to say no to because the flesh is going to eventually just kind of become less and less of an issue because we're following the Spirit and he's going in the opposite direction that the flesh is going. So you might ask yourself the question, well, how do I know, Pastor Jared, if I'm feeding the flesh or if I'm feeding the spirit? How am I going to know what that looks like? Well, Paul devised this great test for us found, and I'm not going to read it, but it's found in Galatians 5, 19 through 23. There's two lists that he puts in Galatians chapter 5. One of them is the acts of the flesh. The other one is the fruit of the spirit. Pastor Barry preached a message a couple weeks ago about the fruit of the Spirit. Excellent message. If you have not listened to it, please go listen to it. Go jump online and go watch it on YouTube. But he puts these two lists on there, the acts of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. The acts of the flesh um, are things like uh, um, <clears throat> disunity and anger and wrath. And you can read down, there's a whole list of them. If you read on that list and you say, man, these are the kind of things that are coming out of my life, then you'll know that you've been feeding the flesh. But then he talks about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. If those things are coming out of your life, then you know, hey, I've been feeding the Spirit. So use those lists as an indicator of where you're at with feeding the flesh or feeding the Spirit. So that's our first source of temptation. It's us. It's a, it's a, it's a sly one. It's a weird one. It's a hard one because it's built into us. It's baked into us, unfortunately. But by the power of God and the grace of God, we're overcoming those sinful things in our life and overcoming the sinful nature that, that we were born with. Source number two. Okay, let's say we have our flesh under control, right? We're walking in the Spirit. We're listening to the Spirit. We're not gratifying the flesh. We've got the fruit of the Spirit fully coming out of our life. Does that mean temptation is taken care of? No. You can have yourself fully under control, 
fully walking in the Spirit, and you still get temptation coming at you. Well, where does this temptation come at us from, and, and what is this temptation? Well, this temptation comes in the form of a system that's working against you. There's a system out there that is designed to bring you down, and uh, it's an external thing, and it doesn't want you to live for God. This system is our second source of temptation, and we call it the world. Okay, well, that's pretty broad, Pastor Jer, the world. What does that mean, okay? Let me break it down for you. The world. This is Pastor Jer's ver- uh, definition of the world. Okay, you're not going to find this anywhere except in my notes. The world is the people and things around us that are in opposition to the ways of God. The things and people around us in opposition to the ways of God. The world is where we find a lot of our temptations, okay? Even though we could be fully submitted in our flesh, or not feeding our flesh, we're fully submitted, our bodies are under control of the Spirit, we're still going to get external sources of temptation. And uh, let me give an example, okay? Someone makes a commitment, says, hey, guess what? I realize that I have been making food a god in my life, I've been making it an idol, and I'm going to cut back. For the glory of God, I'm not going to be a glutton anymore. I mean, you know, a lot of us in America probably have major issues with gluttony. Um, but let's say that someone decides to make that commitment, okay? They're, they're, fully, they're fully in the spirit. They're fully ready to go. But before they even leave their house, on the, on the TV comes a commercial for chilies. I want my baby back, baby back, baby back, baby back ribs, right? Chili's comes on, and then another commercial for mac and cheese comes on, and then another commercial for, you know, another restaurant comes on. So the, by the time they've left the house, they've seen three commercials about food. So they decide to get out of the house and go to work. And then on the way to work, they pass by every single restaurant in the city, and the last one that they go by because they work there is they go by Burger King, and they can smell those flame-broiled Whoppers right next door, right? I don't know what it is about Burger King, but I wish I could bottle that scent. It's amazing, right? Or, or a sports page, actually, over here. When I come out, it smells really good. So then they get out of there, they get out of the car, they go to work, and guess what? It's somebody's birthday at the office today, and there's cake for everybody. Or somebody brought in donuts this morning, okay? That is an example, a kind of a silly example, but that's an example of how the world Works. That's how the world tempts us. See, that person can be fully under control and fully submitted to the Spirit and walking in the Spirit. The Spirit's probably going the opposite direction of the cake. How many of you know that, right? Um, depending on if it's high V cake, they might be going towards it. But if it's, uh, no, they're going different directions. But they might be fully submitted to the Spirit, but the world is working against them and it's bringing temptations in every place imaginable. The world can come in the form of media, objects, or people. I mean, you know, people sometimes can get used by the world, right? They can, <clears throat> media, things that you hear around. You know, when we were going through COVID, the negativity of the news just, it, it just wears you down. And it's one of those temptations that I had to fight. I know while I was there, I had to, I, there was times during COVID and sometimes during that crisis that I had to just turn the news off. I just had to turn it off because it was feeding my flesh and not my spirit. <clears throat> John, the apostle, talks about uh, the world in First John Two fifteen through 16. I want, I want to mine his words a little bit this morning. He says, Do not love the world or the things it offers you. For when, when you love the world, you don't have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything else we see, and pride in the achievements of our possessions. Let me read that part again. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and a pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but from the world. So again, we have the world kind of on a polar opposite end of God. And it says don't love the world because if you love the world, then you don't really love God. 
So it's clear that we can't have both, according to 1 John. So how do we defeat the world? Because how many know we still live in the world? Okay, we're going to have to face the world, but we need to learn how to defeat this source of temptation. So how do we do that? Well, the answer, I believe, is found in James chapter 4, verse 4. And this is the message version. It says, you're cheating on God if all you want is your own way. Flirting with the world every chance you get, you end up enemies of God and his way. Flirting with the world. How do we defeat the world? Well, for one, we don't flirt with the world. There's a challenge that's been happening, and again, I may have talked about this before, but um, there's a challenge where, you know, there's uh, parents put chocolate or fruit snacks or M&Ms or some treat in front of, like, toddlers and little kids. It's called the temptation challenge. And they'll say, okay, I'm going to put these here, and then I'm going to go to the bathroom, and I'll be right back. And um, if you haven't eaten any by the time I get back, then you can have all of them, okay? And so the little toddlers, yeah, 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 yeah. And oh my gosh, if you've never seen those videos, I don't have time to show them this morning, but please go out and watch those videos because those kids, man, they will do, and usually, honestly, most of them are pretty good about not eating it, but they will do everything but eat it. They'll put it on their face. They'll put it up their nose. They'll put it right on their lips so they can just kind of taste it, but they weren't actually eating it. They'll do everything short of eating it and uh, eventually some of them do end up eating it, but it's kind of like what we do sometimes, don't we? We just, we put those things, up, those areas of our weakness, we don't keep them in check or we don't put guards and safety rails around those things and we keep them in front of us and we just, we just dabble, we dabble, we dabble until we find ourselves just enveloped in that temptation. And then we're right back to those areas and some of us maybe have even addictions in these areas and so we, we dabble, dabble, dabble or we know that it's over here and we know and we're using our willpower to fight it and then the next thing you know we're wrapped up in that temptation we're wrapped up in those addictions again those things those are hell bait areas how many you know everybody has a weak area you have weak areas in your life places Satan's going to attack you you know you may not be someone who gossips but you might be someone who has a hard time with lust okay Gossip may not be an issue for you, so you don't have to guard that, but you have, maybe have to guard your internet connection. There's areas that we're weak in, and if we flirt with it, if we hang around it, if we let it be a part of our lives, eventually we're going to fall to it. So we get as far away from those things as we humanly can. We put safeguards in our way so that we don't have to mess with that. If we have people in our lives that are causing us and taking us down those roads, then we might have to put a pause in that relationship for a little bit, or maybe we'd have to cut off that relationship completely. If we have a problem with gossip, talking about other people, maybe we need to not hang around Susie Gossip, who wants to gossip with us all the time. Maybe we have to put a pause in that relationship because we don't want to flirt with the world. We don't want to flirt with sources of temptation, especially the ones we're weak in. Do yourself a favor and don't flirt with those things. Get them out so that you don't have to spend all your energy worrying about those temptations that are within reach. You can take those things out for as much as you can. Take those things as far away from your life as you can. If you didn't know by now, the sinful nature in the world, okay, the first source of temptation, the sinful nature, the flesh, and the world, they kind of work hand in hand, don't they? The sinful nature is like a big hungry fish looking for, a good, looking for good food, and the world is the bait that supplies uh, the food. But in the end, obviously, we know that it leads to death. So we have these two areas, and it's like, you know, when we get one under control, then the other one's trying to, to tempt us, and if we have one tempt us, then, then our flesh is on the other side trying to, trying to beat us down into that temptation, so it's work, they work in tandem, and they work hand in hand, and even if we learn how to conquer the flesh, even if we overcome the world, there's still more temptation that can come at us. Sometimes it's not easy to live this Christian life, 
Sometimes it would be easy to go the way that we want to go, but how many of you know it's so rewarding and fulfilling to live a life in Jesus in freedom because Jesus said, it's for freedom that I came to set you free. How many of you understand that? He didn't come to put rules and regulations on us and make life hard for us. He came to make life free and enjoyable and full of joy and full of fulfillment for us. How many of you understand that? No matter what the circumstances are. You get that? Amen. Okay, so we got the the flesh under control. We've overcome the world, but we still have temptation coming at us. Where does temptation, where does this third angle of temptation come from? Well, that third source of temptation is Satan and his demonic forces. You have an enemy that is working against you for your downfall. Not just your flesh, not just the world, but you have a a spiritual enemy that is hard at work to make sure that you are dismantled because he doesn't want to see you obtain that fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And before I go in depth of this topic, as I always do when I talk about spiritual warfare, I have to put up the disclaimer that uh, I, I believe that Satan gets a lot of credit. I believe that the demonic forces of hell get a lot more credit than they're due because so many times, and it even talks about in James, what we read, um, temptation doesn't, uh, more often than not, comes from our own evil desires, okay? It does, there's not a demon behind every tree. There's not always a satanic uh, presence behind it. But at the same time, we can't ignore the fact that it's a very real threat. And we're also aware that there's a lot more that goes on in the spiritual world that affects how do we, that, the way that we live. And a lot of times, we just don't stop to realize it. You know, Jesus came into contact with demons eight different times in his three years of ministry. It happened. And those are only the recorded instances. There might even be more that we don't know about. So the demonic forces of hell are a very real thing, and, and we know that they're coming to steal, kill, and destroy us. The word says that to us. But who is Satan? Let's kind of start at the beginning. Satan was an angelic being, an angelic prince, uh, very high in the order of heaven, and he got very proud and wanted to become like God. This is found in the book of Ezekiel, by the way, what I'm talking about. He wanted to become like God, and so he convinced a third of the angels to, uh, or he led the third of the angels in rebellion against God before the beginning of time, and God struck them out of heaven. He struck them down, struck them out of heaven. They got kicked out, and uh, from that time on, Satan has done his best to work against God, and that means working against God's children, the ones who are created in God's image. That's us. Okay, that's his thing. But what's interesting about it, and what I don't think people realize sometimes, is that because Satan and the angels are just angels, they're not God, there's certain attributes they don't have that God has. For example, they can't be everywhere at once. They're not omnipresent. They're not all-knowing. They're not omniscient. They can't have unlimited power. They're not omnipotent like God is. So Satan and his demonic forces are limited in their attacks. They're limited to... um, They're limited to using the world that we talked about. They're limited to our own sinful nature that we talked about, um, mainly by planting thoughts. And they're they're limited to attacking the weakness of our physical bodies, like causing sickness. And we see that, like in the story of Job, how Satan afflicted Job with sickness, okay? So there's only limited ways that Satan can attack us. So if we understand those things, we can learn how to defeat the forces of hell. And the Bible lays it out very clearly in 1 Peter 5, 8, and 9 and James 4, 7. I'm going to read both of them to you and we're going to see how we defeat this last source of temptation. James 4, 7. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Somebody say, resist the devil. 1 Peter 5, 8, and 9. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking for someone to devour. Resist him. Somebody say, resist him. Standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. So, two verses saying the same thing. What are they saying? How do you defeat the the enemy of, of God? Resist him. Resist the devil. 
Well, let's break that down a little bit. I looked up the Greek word for resist to see if I could shed some light on the meaning of the word, but what I found is it's just how it's translated in the English, to withstand, to oppose, to resist. In other words, there's no easy key to success when it comes to hell's attacks. We need to make the choice to resist. And there's a couple of, there's three actually different ways that I think we can defeat Satan as laid out in scripture. Number one, use our only offensive weapon in the armor of God, which is the sword of the spirit, which is what? The Bible. The Bible. Jesus, when he was in the wilderness, he went to, before he did ministry, he went and he fasted for 40 days. Satan came to him and tempted him with three different things, three different times. Every single time, Jesus said, it is written, and then Jesus quoted a scripture to Satan. How many know if that's the way Jesus decided to combat Satan? That's probably a good strategy for us, too. So when Satan comes at you, internalize the word and be ready with the word to speak. If you have weak areas in your life that we talked about where you fall to temptation often, memorize some verses on this thing so that when those thoughts come into your head, when that temptation rises up, you can use the word, use the word, use the word, use the sword of the spirit the way that Jesus did. The second way we can defeat Satan is found in 2 Corinthians 10.5. It says this, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Like I said, Satan's attacks most generally come in our mind. That's generally where he likes to attack us the most. It could be fear, it could be anxiety, it could be insecurities, uh, it could be lustful thoughts, it could be a lot of different thoughts, but he likes to plant thoughts that work hand in hand with our sinful nature in our minds. So if we can do what this verse says in 2 Corinthians 10.5, and we can take captive every thought, we can put a guard at our mind gate so that every single thought that comes through, we're thinking about what we're thinking about. So when a thought comes in, we can say, okay, is that a thought that's going to lead me down a road of temptation, or is that a thought that's worthy to think on? If it's worthy to think on, let it through. If it's not worthy, then just turn it away. And you'd be amazed how easy it is to do that. I mean, you got to think about it, but you'd be amazed when you decide not to, when you decide to resist that thought, how easy it is and how quickly it goes from your mind. You would really be honestly amazed. It amazes me every time I do it. Resist it, and it just leaves. Put it at your mind gate. The third way is not to leave your support system. In uh, 1 Peter 5, what we just read, was it 1 Peter 5? Sorry, let me check. In 1 Peter 5, what we just read, it compares, yeah, compares Satan to a roaring lion, right? How many of you have ever seen nature documentaries where lions are attacking a herd of animals? How do they always get their animal? Do they attack the entire herd? No. They always pick out one. And the one that they pick off is usually the one that's lagging behind the rest of the herd. It might be sick, it might be old, it might be young, or maybe just one that kind of lost its way and it's just, just kind of out of the herd and it's kind of hanging back. Because they know they can't take on the entire herd. Even a pride of lions can't take on an entire herd. But they can take on one, one wildebeest, one gazelle, whatever it is. But they always look for that one that's straggling back, that's away from the rest of the group. And they'll separate that one off. And once they have that one separated off, it's an easy lunch for them. Satan's like a roaring lion, prowling around, looking for someone to devour. One of his strategies, one of the strategies of hell is to take Christians out of fellowship with other Christians. Take them out of the church. And when I say the church, I don't mean this church, this building. I mean take them out of fellowship with Big C, the church, believers. Because if Satan can get you by, him, by yourself, then you don't have the support of your brothers and sisters in Christ. You know that when you get by yourself, sometimes your mind goes crazy and the, the enemy plants thoughts. And if sometimes, if you're out of relationship and fellowship with believers, you don't have anybody to run those thoughts by, 
Because if you're in a relationship with a believer and you say, man, this is what's going through my head, and they can say, listen, that's crazy, and they can encourage you with a, with a verse, or they can say, listen, you're, the enemy's going nuts on your mind, just stop, okay, stop. This is the truth, this is, what you, this is what you've been told, but this is what the truth is. They can't encourage you, they can't support you if they're not in fellowship with you. So I guess what I'm saying is don't disconnect from the church. Don't disconnect from believers, because believers are important. We weren't designed to live this life alone. We weren't designed to become Christians and then just go off on our own and become mavericks. We were designed when we become Christians to, to live this, this Christian life with a body of people. That's us, the church, the believers. Don't ever take yourself out of relationship with believers because they're there to encourage you. They're there to support you. Satan attacks you with physical weakness. They're there to help pick up the pieces. They're, they're there to, to, to walk with you through that, to help you carry you through that. Do you understand what I'm saying? The church is there for you. They're a great asset to you. So don't leave your support behind because you become easy, an easy, easy target for the enemy. And it'll be easy to give into those temptations when you're away by yourself doing your own thing. Don't ever leave your fellowship. Don't ever leave your brothers and sisters in Christ. God put them there for a lot of reasons. And one of those is to, to help you, to keep you from temptation when the enemy comes and tries to destroy you. He, he brought believers alongside of you to help you through that. All right? Three areas of temptation. Sinful nature or your flesh. Number two is the world. Number three is Satan and the demonic forces of hell that are coming after you. A lot of temptation. But we've talked about all those areas of temptation, and I gave you a lot of strategies, all biblically based. I know I threw a lot of scripture at you, and that was by design because I wanted you to understand that the Bible has given us strategies to overcome and defeat these temptations. Because here's the, here's the reality of it. You can't avoid the clickbait areas of life. You've you got to live with yourself. You've got to live in this world. And unfortunately, until he's thrown into the abyss or the lake of fire at the end of time, we have to deal with Satan and his demonic forces. We have to deal with these things. It's not an option. We can't just check out of it. And as a Christian, if you're living and following Jesus, you're going to get resistance. Because like I said, we're following a king from another kingdom, and we're, trying to, we're living by the rules of another kingdom. And so when we follow and not in this kingdom, we're going to get resistance. So you should get resistance. It's a natural part of your, of your experience as a follower of Jesus Christ. You can't avoid these clickbait areas. They're inevitable. But like I said, we've gone over to the strategies to defeat every single one of them. And I trust that if you're a believer here this morning, you're going to take these areas to the heart and you're, you're going to incorporate these areas into your everyday routines and rhythms of life so that you can defeat temptation when it comes, when it comes knocking. And it is going to come knocking. I'm sure even today it'll come knocking. And there's some of you in this room also, that, that was for believers, there's some of you in this room this morning and you maybe have never said yes to Jesus. Maybe you're on the outside, you're looking in, maybe you're trying this church thing out to see what it's all about. I want to let you know that God has created you for a relationship with him. And like I said, when I was talking about the vine and the branches, there's no place that you're going to find fulfillment outside of him. I trust, I guarantee you. You may have times of happiness. You may have times when uh, you know, you're feeling good. You may have times when you think you've arrived, but I will guarantee you at the end of every single road that you go down, if you're looking for fulfillment outside of Jesus, you're not going to find it. And maybe you come into this room this morning and you've been that person and you say, I've tried all the things that the world has to offer. I've tried everything that my flesh wants to do and I've just come to the end of my road because I'm depressed and, and, and I'm not finding what I'm looking for in those things. Well, this morning, I want to let you know there is hope, man. There is hope because God sent his son, Jesus, to this earth 
so that we could have a perfect relationship with God, that it could be restored the way it was way before sin ever entered this world at the beginning of time. He sent Jesus as a sacrifice to take on your sin so that you could have not only eternal life, but you can have abundant life in him, in this world. And does that mean everything's going to be perfect? No. Does that mean the life is going to be roses? No. It means that you are going to have uh, a friend that sticks closer than a brother. It means that at the end of the day, you're going to be able to look in the mirror and have joy in your, your life no matter what is going on around you. That's what God promises us in this life. And then there are some amazing things coming at the end of this life that you're not even going to believe. Clickbait right there. It'll blow your mind, and it really will. And the, the content of heaven will definitely deliver on the headlines in that case. But if you're in this place this morning, and that's you, I want everybody to, to bow your heads and close your eyes. And um, like I said, God sent his son Jesus to this earth, and he, he made the ultimate sacrifice for you and me. He died for our sins. And the Bible tells us that all we need to do is believe in Jesus Christ and confess that he is Lord. What does that mean? That means... That means confessing not just with your mouth. I mean, the Bible does say confess with your mouth that he's Lord, but confessing by your actions that he's Lord, living by his commands. We can help you get started in that process, but this morning, if you are in this place and you've been looking and looking and looking and you haven't been able to find those things that are fulfilling, I want to give you an opportunity to find what you've been looking for. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to count to three, and if you want to say yes to Jesus, that means what I just said, believing that he's Lord, confessing him with your mouth and with your actions, giving him your life, you're ready to make that change this morning. When I count to three, I want you to raise your hand, and I'm going to have you sh- play, uh, pray a short prayer along with the rest of the congregation, and, and that'll be your first steps into a new life this morning. So if there, anybody in this room that's ready to just stop running after the temptations of the world, and they're ready to find fulfillment, I just want to give you that opportunity. One, two, three. If that's you, raise your hand. Raise your hand this morning if that's you. Amen. Anybody else? Yeah, I see one in the balcony. Thank you. All right, you can go ahead and put your hands down. Let's keep our heads bowed and eyes closed. We're all going to repeat this prayer together this morning, and if that's you and you raise your hand especially, I want you to know that if you believe this, this prayer that you're going to say with your whole heart, that you are ready to step into a new life, and you're going to make that decision. So let's do that this morning. Let's pray. Repeat after me. Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for giving me everything. I accept your sacrifice. Forgive me of my sin. Make my life new. Help me to follow you with my whole heart. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, for every person in this place. Lord, for the believers that are in here, God, that are facing temptation on a day-to-day basis and getting bombarded, Lord, I pray that you would give them, uh, help them to implement the strategies we talked about. Father, I pray for those, God, who just said that prayer, maybe for the first time. Lord, that you lead them into this new life, God, that you have created for them. Lord, that they'll experience the things that we talked about this morning. Father, the fulfillment and the joy that comes with knowing you. God, I pray for each and every individual in this place that you'll send us out into our ministry field this morning, God, full of your Holy Spirit and ready to do ministry to everyone and everywhere that we go. We love you so much, God. We thank you so much for the ability to be here today, to hear your word, to fellowship with brothers and sisters, to worship you with with songs and with singing. God, it is such an incredible day that you've made. So God, let us go into it full of the joy of the Holy Spirit and ready to spread that life everywhere we go. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First podcast. Join us next week to stay updated on our latest messages.